podcast where we, a real-life mother and daughter duo, rewatch Gilmore Girls and discuss the misadventures of fictional mother and daughter duo Lorelai and Rory Gilmore. I am Tessa Dare, a writer and the author of the paranormal mystery series The Quran's and Chronicles and Beth's Daughter. And I'm Beth, Tessa's mom and also a writer. Tessa and I have been talking about politics, art, and culture pretty much since she could read. We kept this dialogue up even after she moved to Seattle. Then one day, one of us joked we should do a podcast and move these talks into the digital world. The Gilmore Girls seem like a good place to start. Their story resonates with us. I was a single mother of a teenage daughter attending a private school we could not afford. But we also found that the plot lines of the show often touch on topics that Tess and I like to discuss, such as images of women, character development, family dynamics, and music and movies. So here we are, recording from our respective studios in separate cities. Tess is in Seattle, and I am in St. Louis, and I am on my third cup of coffee as we begin our discussion. And I am on my second cup of coffee, which you, Beth, will be unsurprised to hear has long since gone cold, and I'm drinking it anyway. And it looks like you are drinking out of the Boston mug that we mm-hmm. bought in Boston your junior year of college. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Actually, I, I was going to use the, the Luke's Cafe That's mug. That's what I got. The, the Luke's Diner mug. But apparently I used it earlier this week, and now it's dirty. Well, mine's clean. I used it today. Mine has gone cold, too, but that's okay because it was my third cup. Oh, uh, and we now have a Patreon. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash where you lead. Every week, we will start off with a synopsis of the episode along with the date it aired before heading into our discussion. Today, we are discussing Season 1, Episode 13, Concert Interruptus. It originally aired February 15th, 2001 and by the way we are now more than halfway through the first season yes so uh in this episode there is a giant town-wide rummage sale happening in stars hollow that was apparently lorelei gilmore's idea uh (laughs) and at the same time rory gets assigned to work in a group with paris madeline and louise at school and ends up inviting them to a concert, which does not go according to plan. So in the opening scene, we get, uh, the opening scene is in Lorelai's bedroom. It is literally a cold open in a closet. Yes. We open it up and they are pulling stuff out of the closet. Lorelai is very reluctant to give up any of her clothes, even though apparently this rummage sale was her idea, which Rory is keen to remind her of. Um, And after she refuses a couple of items that seem to make sense to give up, Rory just takes a whole chunk of the middle of her closet and walks off with it. That was weird. I mean, it it was hard for me to watch her do that because I thought, Mm -hmm. no, you want to look at each one of those pieces individually. I'm not sure, Uh but, you know, but the other thing that happened here is that Lorelai does not want to give up the red halter top with tassels that she has had since she was 17. Now, Mm -hmm. I understand at some point, I mean, I have probably three tubs full of toddler clothes from yours and your brother's early years that I have kept along with some things of my mother's and, and there's sentimental sentimentality 
uh, attached to these items. And I understand that, but I long ago threw away at my what few halter tops I had. None of them had yeah. tassels. But um, so, yeah, she, you know, she's got, because that is so frustrating for Rory, she just grabs a whole bunch of clothes and says, we're taking these. Yep. And she doesn't even look to see. So I yep. we have to, I think we have to assume that Lorelai is a clothes hog. Yeah, I think so. And I think that that continues to be kind of a joke throughout the episode, right? She keeps getting drawn to the ugliest stuff in the room. Oh, my God. <laughs> rhinestones in particular yeah so my first my first alternate title for this episode is step away from the closet because that she says that to her at one point that's a good one i like that one but in this scene rory is clearly the adult here lorelei is struggling well I, you know that that's interesting to me actually when you think about it when you're a teenager do you hold on to stuff as a teenager because i don't know that i did i maybe a few things i was much more likely to hold on to things that had sentimental value for me when i had after I had children. Yeah, you know, God, I'm trying to think. I feel like my memory of my clothes in when I was a teenager was like most of them I didn't care about and the few items that I remember absolutely loving just seemed to disappear at some point. <laughs> I it don't really me. know. It wasn't me. I, I'm, I mean, I, I didn't assume it was like, I don't know, there, there are some, there's some specific items. I mean, there are some things that you still have, like my, my prom dresses you still have. I don't know. I, I have a memory of a couple of specific items and I just don't know what happened to them. I assume I lost them. I'll, I'll see a picture of myself in a shirt that I loved and think, mm-hmm. what did I do with that shirt? I really like that shirt. It just disappeared. No idea yeah. what happened to it. But you do have one shirt still from your tween years, actually, that you sleep in. Oh, yeah. I have a sleeping shirt that I got at horseback riding camp when I was Ace nine. Stables. One of the few camps I went to. Yeah, Ace Stables. But that, so, that yeah. is the one thing you kept that you would never let me get rid of. And it is, it's threadbare at this point, right? I mean, you sleep in it. It is, yeah. it's. I mean, it's just a really nice, soft cotton shirt. It's funny because I don't think that I actually like wore it out in my regular day life that long it very quickly became a sleeping shirt I think because it was just such a lovely soft cotton and yeah I've just I've just kept it and yeah the the like the top part where the collar is is like kind of falling apart I should probably try to sew it up at some point but yeah no I I still have it or throw it out (laughs) no (laughs) no I've had that shirt for 20 years oh more than that 25 years 25 years yeah Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I feel like I can't throw it away at this point. It's it's, it's a part of my identity. <laughs> That's pretty wild. I don't know that I have any clothes at this point that are that old. I mean, that is definitely by far the oldest thing that I own. I don't own. Mm-hmm. I don't still have anything else. Oh okay. I have to I have to back up and say that I do have a wool skirt that I bought in my twenties in the eighties. That was one of the first pe- professional pieces of clothing I'd ever owned. And I love that skirt so much that I held on to it after I, you know, gained weight and I was too big for it. I bought it back when I was tiny. And I kept telling myself, one of these days I'm going to wear this again. I've never been able to wear it. It's a pretty small size. But it's a lovely skirt and it's a nice soft mm-hmm. wool. I mean, it was, a, it was a designer piece of clothing. And I bet you I could get money for it at this point. <laughs> but it's sitting, <laughs> yeah. it's sitting downstairs with your prom dresses. <laughs> okay, anyway, getting back to the episode. Yeah, we're off topic. Um, so, so yeah, we, we, we've got the the opening scene up in Lorelai's room, and then Rory recklessly takes a bunch of Lorelai's clothes. I do a little bit identify with Lorelai. I mean, I think everything that she picks out of the rummage sale is, like, absolutely hideous. But if you forced me to, like, give up a certain percentage of my closet, I don't know that I could. There are, like, a couple of individual pieces that I could probably force myself to part with. But I do have a pretty hefty closet, and I do not want to give any of it up. 
So I do identify with Lorelai a little bit here. Uh, and then the credits roll, and then we continue with preparation for this the rummage sale, this time with Rory and Lane. Lane holds up a giant poster of kittens in a toilet for some reason, and they say that this is uh, the second one that they've got, but this one is signed. So, okay. I have no idea. It makes makes no sense to me. This kind of begins what, hap- what continues to happen throughout the whole episode, which is basically everyone from the town is showing up to yeah. dump all their so, crap in Lorelai's yeah. house. Suki comes. So maybe she comes later, but Taylor comes. She comes later. Um, yeah, Taylor I, comes lo- I love scene. that he. I love that he loves the idea of an instruction manual. Lorelai, Lorelai gets him. You know when he's he's talking about this piece. He he's donating yes. a piece of I don't know. He's donating a whole something. a whole set. Yes, a, a Dishwa- like, yeah, dishes. A yeah, dishware set. And there's yeah. there's a chip in one. And he yeah. says, but I you know I ground it down. And he's giving information about it. And and Lor- and Lorelai says. Do you want to write an instruction manual on that? He said, oh, could I please? Could I? So yeah. he, he does that. I thought that was really cute. <laughs> it was adorable. I mean, it was really very, very sweet. And, yeah. and of course, Luke shows up uh, mm-hmm. when, when Lorelai's not in the room. And he's told yes. to put his stuff in the kitchen because it's also related. Pots and pans. He brought pots and pans. Yeah. So he takes that into the kitchen. And then she doesn't know he's in there. She walks in there and she and she yells out, "There's a man in my kitchen! Someone call the constable!" <laughs> so that's my second alternate possible uh, title for the episode. <laughs> anyway, so th- so this whole scene, the whole show basically is about the rummage. The whole episode is about the rummage show, rummage sale. Can't talk today, and 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 the concert. It's like those two things. <laughs> yes, and then yeah, at the end of this scene, Suki shows up, and my note about this is she appears to be showing up from a brand new door in their house. Oh, I didn't notice that. She enters in through this side door that I don't think we've ever seen before. Well, that's interesting. I have to go back and look because I and I I did write down that today is Tuesday because somebody says it's Tuesday and the sale is Sunday. So I'm tracking I'm tracking the days here, people. (laughs) Because but she does. She shows up with tickets to the Bengals concert that she gets. Yeah. From somebody she's done a, a good thing for. Yeah, a ticket broker who she made a volcano cake for. They were, it was possibly a wedding at, at the inn or something, and she made a volcano cake, and he really liked it, so he got her Bengals tickets, which I feel like the thing that struck me about that was like, oh my gosh, this was a period of time when there were still small-time ticket brokers, and everything wasn't controlled by Ticketmaster. Well, That's and they're going, they're going to New York City to see it, but it's a, when you get there, it's a pretty small theater, too. Yeah. Uh, although at this point, and I had to think about it, because the Bengals, I guess, were big in the 80s, and this is 2001, so at this point, they've been around for in fact they say at some point that rory likes them but lorelei liked them as a teenager we'll get to that later on but and i had to stop and think oh yeah they're you know to me it's all a blur the last 40 years but the Bengals were big yeah. in the 80s they, they were big 40 years ago they were one of the first uh there were several all women bands during the 80s and they were called girl bands i hate that but it was all women bands mm-hmm. they were one of the more successful ones talk like an egyptian is their big song and actually that's one of the lines that i think yeah Laura oh Lai yeah says, when lorelei says later concert. on we'll get to that yeah but but it's 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 a, what's amazing to me about that is that I remembered that and did I write it here or did I write it later? When they get to the concert, the the main singer for um, the Bengals is oh I wrote her name down somewhere I guess we haven't got to it yet but anyway I saw her on something a couple of months ago and I didn't know who, I didn't know who she Susanna Huffs mm. Huffs and I didn't know who she was and I thought oh this. 
this woman is a really good singer. I had no idea. I wasn't into the Bangles. Wasn't into the girl groups. Ah. That was not my thing. Yeah, I, I didn't really like that music. I'm kind of an oddity that way. But anyway, but she, I heard her on, might have been a, an NPR tiny concert. It was something like that. Mm. And she sang a song, and I thought, she's got a great voice. And it was a really good song. She was playing guitar, and I thought, who is this woman? So I had to look her up, and she was the lead singer for the Bengals. So that was, that's my throw out here. Right. But anyway, so there was a moment, though, when they're talking about this. And it looks to me like Rory wants to invite Dean instead of Lane because there are four tickets. It seems mm. obvious to me when, when Suki walks in and the four of them are standing there and she it, that she's talking about the four of them going to the concert together, the four of them being Suki, Lorelai, Rory, and Lane. Mm-hmm. Why is that not obvious to Rory? And is she really thinking when she says, well, who's the fourth ticket for? Is she thinking like offering it to Dean? That is not what occurred to me. Really? That's but... what occurred to me. So, which I thought was was a little disheartening because yeah. Suki very clearly says four girls to go see four girls or something like that. Yeah. So it's obvious to me who she's talking about. Why isn't it obvious to to uh, Rory? It was kind of weird, but yeah, I don't know. But, but they have yeah. it's great tickets too. They're like ninth yeah. row, which is ninth row. Really, really good tickets. Yeah. Okay, so the next scene is Rory in class where Tristan is there again and hard staring at her throughout class and the teacher repeatedly notices i hate tristan (laughs) and the thing is he he wants her because he can't have her it's it's all about controlling her and yeah it's realistic i guess so i'm glad they threw that that it's part of the show but i yeah i'm like you i really hate the character yeah i hate him Um, but yeah, then they, they all get broken up into teams. And of course, Rory is put on a team with Paris, Louise, and Madeline. And Mm -hmm. that kind of starts our final thread here, which is, um, that this is kind of, this whole episode is, uh, an important moment in Rory's relationship with these three girls. Uh, so they, they get paired together. Paris is obviously not happy about it. Which is, which is dumb really, because she knows that these other two girls aren't going to pull their weight. And she's got to know at this point that Rory is going to pull her weight and that I don't, yeah. So I don't understand why she's upset. But Well, I, th- I think from what we get for the rest of the episode, whenever we talk about how they're going to divide this up, I think it's because Paris just assumes that she's actually going to do the majority of the work and she just mm. wants people who will just obey her. And that's what Louise and Madeline will do. And you've probably worked on team efforts like this before. And my problem with these kinds of efforts, and I realize that this is why they do it, is that there are always members of the team that don't carry their weight and yeah yeah, it's usually four or five people i always hated them but but i also always understood that part of the assignment is learning to work with others on a team and that that's very important for life but always frustrating when you when you have one or two people doing most of the work and the other two getting as much credit um so a good leader a good team leader is going to make sure that everybody pulls their weight but of course paris is not a team leader she is always yeah. looking for, for herself uh if yeah. it were up to rory she would she would assign everybody equal amounts of work and make sure that they did it i mean i think it's also i do think it's kind of a lot to ask of a teenager to be a leader of a team like i do understand that we want yeah, it is kids to learn how to work on teams but it's one thing to learn how to work with a team it's another thing to know how to lead a team that is kind of a lot to ask of a teenager i think yeah i'm thinking of college and graduate school (laughs) 
Yeah. I, I mean, don't remember like, teams in high school, so you may be right. Yeah. I mean, I do remember doing a couple of group projects in high school, but the thing is I went to a really small high school and we were all friends with each other. So yeah. our team group projects actually usually went pretty well because you knew everybody. And for the most part, I think we were usually allowed to pick our own teams since it was like so small and we were all friendly. There was very little chance of people getting left out. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have pretty good memories of the groups I was in in high school, less so the groups I was in in college because those were much bigger classes. And I, I don't actually think I did that many group projects in college, but the one that I remember was one where I was paired with a kind of frat boy and I just had to do everything because he wasn't going to do anything. So yeah. anyway, so yeah, they get paired up together and out in the call, out in the hallway, they discuss where they're going to do it and they end up agreeing to go to Rory's house because everyone else has a reason why it can't be their house. Oh, and then Tristan, of course, shows up again to deliberately flirt with Paris in front of Rory, which Rory doesn't seem to really care that much about, but Mm -mm. Paris obviously does care quite a a bit about, because Paris still likes Tristan, unfortunately. Then we we get back to the town. Lane reveals, or uh, Lane and Rory try to convince Lane's mom to let her go, and they kind of fumble immediately. Yeah, the thing about this scene that doesn't work for me is that Lane is usually... Although it, you know, works for the the plot of the story. Lane is usually much better at manipulating her mother than she was in this yeah. scene. She screws it up. She calls it a show yeah. instead of because mm-hmm. they had agreed walking into the house they were going to say they were going to a play Saturday a play. night. Now, yeah. as I'm listening to this, I'm realizing I really don't like how often Lane has to lie to her mother. That really bothers me as a parent. And actually, I think this episode, there's an underlying theme to it that's about parenting and the responsibility of being a good parent. And we'll talk about that later after after the, the concert stuff. But Mrs. Kim is a good parent. The fact that Lane, and I understand that Lane really loves music, and it's not fair that her mother doesn't want her to, doesn't allow her to do things that she thinks are she would be harmed by or that are in violation of their faith or of their Korean traditions. And I understand all of that and it's it's a problem, but at the same time it bothers me that she feels that it's so easy for her to lie to her to her mother. I, I really I don't like that dynamic at all. I don't know how realistic it is. It may be realistic. It's just very difficult for me to watch. But in this situation yeah. I have to wonder if it wasn't difficult for Lane as well. And that's why she messes it up. They have to have a good justification for this, even though it it, it moves the plot along. Yeah. There has to be something in her in the character development that works for her to mess this up and there is a look on her face at one point so I'm thinking that the character at this point and she lies to her mother all the time and I I wonder how comfortable she is with it so anyway um so she messes it up and Mrs. Mrs. Kim has a clue that there's something going on that she's that she's Mm -hmm. lying about it so she says you know we'll talk about it later but one of the things that happens in the conversation is Lane, Lane asks her if she can go somewhere tomorrow and yes. Mrs. Kim says, tomorrow is church. It's well, church. the concert yeah. is on Saturday. 
So yeah. is church on Saturday? All I can think is it's a it's a five p.m. Catholic mass. So uh, she wants to go after church. That's the only way Maybe, this works yeah. for me. Yeah, I, I I noticed that too. I, I was like, I'm pretty sure the concert is Saturday, and apparently they go to church on Saturday. Um, Catholic masses, yeah. Or sometimes they and they do that for families so they can do things on Sundays. And I guess so many people attend mass that they have to break it up yeah. like that. I don't know. You remember Elizabeth and her family would sometimes go would often go to Mass on, at 5 p.m. on Saturday. That's how I learned about this. Your friend Elizabeth, when you were growing up, okay. her family went Well, on... I was five then, so no, I don't remember. You don't remember that, do you? Well, I remember. I mean, I remember and... I remember that they were Catholic and that they went to church, um, but I don't remember what days they went to church. I think, I think her mother, and I can't remember Elizabeth's mother's name. Can you? Anne. Anne. I always thought that 5 o'clock on Saturday was a good time to go they go out to dinner afterwards they get it out of the way so if they had stuff to do during the day on sunday because both of your kids are very active in sports they could do that so that's what that's what they did and i so that's what i'm thinking that's what's going on here there's a 5 p.m catholic mass i have actually always uh identified elaine a little bit with elizabeth because elizabeth also had a very religious family that was in fact half korean Mm -hmm. that's right i'd forgotten that and she did lie to her mother a lot (laughs) Sorry, Anne. Well, I don't know listening. if we should out her on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay, so uh, yeah, so after after that unfortunate conversation, Rory goes into Luke's and is surprised to see that he actually put up a sign for the rummage sale on the diner because he normally is very resistant to putting up anything in the diner that isn't his. And this so reference is makes... back to the pumpkins and yes, the pumpkin you know, stuff. He yeah. didn't want to put pumpkins in the windows. He doesn't want to mm-hmm. do that, but he will do anything for Lorelai. For Lorelai, she, she yeah. asked him, so he did, which causes yes. a problem in my mind because it brings in so much stuff. Well, first before we get to that, the the scene is funny because. He tells her the coffee won't be ready for a few minutes, and she keeps teasing him about the sign in the window, mm-hmm. and he finally says, do you want that coffee or not? I'll make a decaf yeah. if you don't stop. <laughs> but then he, yeah. anyway, so it does cause a problem for Lorelai, because their house is overrun with all these bags of things that people have donated, and I have in my notes here, why didn't she just have everyone drop off their stuff at wherever the sale was going to be held? Yeah. Because it, that way they don't have because he doesn't they only have to sort it they got to move yeah. it but then we find out later in the, in the episode that it's an outdoor sale and yeah. so they they couldn't set, they couldn't do it at where I don't know if it's in the town square it's not obvious it might be in the town square yeah, but it, it's sure. an outdoor sale and that's why they can't do it so she that's why they're dropping everything off at her house but wow I mean it's just it's claustrophobic there's so much stuff in that yeah room. it's it's a lot of stuff um, which actually so before we. Uh, continue with that because I, I do have a note here about my alternate title for the episode but right before that uh, Lorelai shows up at the diner wearing the ugliest sweatshirt I've ever seen and uh, rhinestones out at her yeah, the, it, yeah I mean it's rhinestones also the pattern is sort of like a model not quite camo yeah I, yeah I hate it and she's wearing a camo cowboy hat yeah pretty awful the whole the whole outfit yeah. is bad and Luke is horrified he like flips out and tells her that she shouldn't wear other people's stuff. It's very clear that this sweatshirt means something to him, but we don't yet quite know what, um, but he like flips out and leaves and refuses to pour them any coffee. And you know, why doesn't Lorelai figure this out? We, I mean, it was obvious to me that there's, it's a woman's shirt. 
He's upset yeah. about it. This has to be either something that belonged to his mother or his sister or girlfriend. If it's his mother or sister, then one of they had to have died. Or it could mm-hmm. be an old girlfriend. And it's so obvious right away. Why doesn't she get it? She can be real, I don't know. Obtuse. She just, yeah, she can be obtuse. That's exactly the right word. Almost deliberately so. It's like she doesn't want to understand what's going on here. Yeah. So then we cut back to the house and there is a sign out front that says rummage sale drop off here nothing alive or gross so that's my alternate title nothing alive nothing alive or gross yeah and then we see the the claustrophobia that is is the indoor stuff it's getting really bad it's really bad but then there i think the next thing is it's still at the house but it's miss patty do you want to describe that yeah miss patty shows up with the biggest set of drums in the world and explains that she danced uh, was it, i danced on these drums at the copacabana in 1969 wow <laughs> <laughs> i mean that just conjures all kinds of images for me these are huge oh, yeah. drums first of all and they're very colorful they look like a copacabana kind of you know drum set but it's not a drum set they're stacked on top of each other so i'm thinking how do you dance on drums first of all i mean i, mean, I wonder if they're not really drums like oh, if, if they're yeah. if it's like a stage that just looks like drums Could or be. something because yeah an actual drum any human being would like crash through drums are not built to be stood upon <laughs> and they show us a little bit about miss patty she really does have an interesting background backstory yeah and it's always very sexual in nature yeah because the implication is did... it was it was erotic dancing so i mean that's that was the implication i got from it she did a dance with bananas or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't know what that so, uh, and Miss Patty remains in the scene. Lane shows up and then tells uh, everybody that she can't go to the concert because she, her mom figured it out and won't let her go. Specifically, her mom doesn't want her to go to a rock concert. I think this is a, an ongoing thing is that Mrs. Kim is really opposed to the music that Lane really likes. Mm-hmm. So Miss Patty sticks around. So she's there when uh, Lorelai brings up the hideous sweatshirt again. And I think it's Miss Patty immediately recognizes it. And so does Suki. And they tell her that it belonged to Rachel, Luke's ex-girlfriend, who apparently... So this is where we get a little bit more of the... I mean, I think they're clarifying Luke's backstory, no, but it is a contradiction. They're not just clarifying it. They're changing it. And they're changing I, I, it, yeah. Yeah, I, they're contradicting things. It's like they didn't have a clear idea. Maybe Luke wasn't supposed to be a major character when they started. I don't know. But they have changed his story several times now. I think part of what's happening here is that... They want to do these kind of rom-com type things with Lorelai and Luke. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, they sort of have to like not know about each other's background. Like they keep wanting to do these storylines where one or the other of them finds out more about the other's past, which is weird because they've lived in the same town for at least a decade. And, and And that's what they say to them. She, you know, Suki says to her, you had an 11 year old kid and you were just moving into this house. Okay, yes. so five, Luke has been here at least five years, but then they also, mm-hmm. somebody also says he's lived here his entire life. His entire um, life. He didn't even go away to college. Didn't even go away to college. Okay, but earlier in, in the show, we were given the impression that he had left and come back. So mm-hmm. so this is contradictory, and I'm sitting here thinking, what the hell, writers? You cannot, yeah. okay, friends. Let's just talk for a second about friends, about how their story arc developed. 
it was always consistent. And there were six of them. Was six of them? Yeah, there were six of them and six of their stories to keep straight. Those writers sat down before the show started and mapped out an arc of their timelines and their stories so they wouldn't make these kinds of mistakes. We're just yeah. barely in, we're only halfway into the first season and they are already making huge mistakes with people's storylines. And that really is bothersome. I mean, I like yeah. this show, but this is inexcusable. His story has to be one or the other. It can't be unless they figure out a way in season three to explain how he could both have lived through his whole life, but also yeah. gone away and come back. I don't know. It, Maybe yeah, because Yeah, because so what's happening in this scene, since I'm not sure if we've actually said it, is that Luke dated this woman, Rachel, for a while. He was a, a serious time. girlfriend. Suki mm-hmm. thought they were going to get married, and Lorelai had no idea that this woman existed. And she's lived here at least 16 years. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, because she, she moved here around the time that she got pregnant. Like, Rory has lived in this town her whole life. So, yeah, it just feels like they're painting this weird picture of this small, close-knit town where somehow... Luke and Lorelai are both very close and see each other every day, but somehow have completely missed huge chunks of each other's lives. It makes me wonder, too, if Luke is supposed to be quite a bit older than Lorelai. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, he doesn't look that much older than her. No, like, he doesn't. But if she was 27 when this happened to him, I don't know. It, it's just, it's a difficult scene in terms yeah. of consistency in the show for me. Yeah, but anyway, sure. here's the other thing about Rachel's backstory. I think it's Miss Patty or I'm not sure which one. I think it's Miss Patty says she uh, had a history of she doing, oh no, maybe it was Suki. She, she did a lot of adventurous stuff. She dove into tiny lakes. Okay, so uh, the big thing right now on TikTok is people belly flopping into water. Have you seen oh, this? So they can get yeah, their Yeah, I saw it because you go, sent me that clip about it. Yeah, it, to get their video to go viral. It's literally, it. <laughs> it's literally a death-defying thing when you're that high up. I mean, you know, it's one thing to dive in or to jump in feet first, but to do a belly flop 40 feet down or 60 feet down, yeah. it's Although insane. Chelsea Handler is right. Most of those videos were not true belly flops. That's true. They're they're trekking in or whatever because they know. Yeah. They're, it's, it's, that's how you kill yourself. I mean, anyway. Yeah. So it, I thought that, that was my immediate uh, thought when they said that she liked to dive into <laughs> tiny lakes. Gosh, yeah. Um. So Suki and uh, Miss Patty have this funny back and forth where Suki says that she thinks Rachel was a photographer. And then <laughs> Miss Patty says, no, she was an archaeologist. Or wait, a flight attendant. These are very different careers. <laughs> I all, mean, yeah, yes, but they, they, they all both require, require a certain amount of travel. Travel, yes, they all require yeah. adventurous travel. Yeah, which okay, I like, and I don't, I don't actually remember, but I think, I think Rachel does later show up as a character, and I want to say photographer is the correct one. Okay, so they got something right. So they have that funny back and forth, and yeah, I think a little bit later, Suki talks about how adventurous she was with the diving into lakes or whatever which I feel like to me the weirdest part about that is I don't know that doesn't really sound like a kind of woman that Luke would really go for but maybe she was the one who pursued him I don't know and why was she living in this town we don't get any of that yeah, we might get question. it later and, and it's really probably not that important the, the important piece is that she was important to Luke 
And he was yes. devastated when she broke it off and left. And that's why yes. he did not want to see Lorelai, who he also has feelings for, and we know that already, yeah. wearing, wearing Rachel's that. shirt that he had donated to the rummage sale. Yeah. Then Paris, Louise, and Madeline show up. They drive up in a convertible. I don't know. Did you recognize what kind of oh, car Oh, it's it a was? BMW. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was um, a BMW and- <laughs> uh, convertible, and and I think she says something like, "What what's the the line that Lori Lorelai says about?" Oh, she she must be the best babysitter ever to be yeah. able to afford that that kind of a car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and then Paris makes some kind of comment about like having trouble finding the house because there's no street name, and Rory tells her that that's why she told her to turn right at the big rooster statue. So apparently, there's a big rooster statue in town. <laughs> Uh, but I'm with Paris on this. You got to have fucking street signs on your streets. I'm yeah. sorry. I, it's just yeah. how do you not have street signs? <laughs> I mean, how do they get their mail? <laughs> how do they get their mail? And are they living on dirt roads? I mean, you know, is yeah. it is it that rural? I don't think it is. I mean, they they should have street signs. I will say though, it is Connecticut, and I did live there, and I did have to drive through some small towns, and actually, there there are more dirt roads than you would expect. I, I kind of remember that too. Yeah, for such a tiny state, there is a a lot of a lot of rural space there. But they do find the house. And they do they find, find the house. They even find a way to sit in that living room, which yes. is kind of wild. But I love this scene because it's cute. It, there's some bonding going on. The beginnings of bonding between yeah. uh, Rory and Paris, uh, and at some point and in Madeline the scene, and Louise. yeah, but they they feel like characters to me that are they're disruptors. I mean, yeah, they're like they're definitely they're not as important as Paris, but I do think in this scene in particular, they are the ones who are warming up to Rory first. And to and, Rory's mom. They really like yeah. her mom because she's ordered yeah, pizza. Yeah, they're like in love with her. <laughs> they're in love with her. She's ordered pizza. Yeah. She's funny. Um, she's young. She likes the mangles. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. They're also really into the clothes. Uh, they pick up some of Miss Patty's old clothes and mm-hmm. one of them asks whether it's a poochie, which I had to look up because my first thought was, is this supposed to be like a coded reference to gucci but it's not poochie is a real design and actually it looks very similar to that shirt it's it's a lot of like abstract bright color patterns yeah i I recognize the word but i didn't but i don't i couldn't have told you what kind of clothing it was so yeah that's yeah it's it's a it's a designer and and yeah they did a lot of bright colored abstract patterns that look very similar to that shirt well here's my question and this this speaks to the inconsistencies that we have repeatedly seen in this show is that uh, they they're all say I'll talk about being sixteen. Now Rory does not say that, but the re- the other three do say that they're all exactly sixteen because yeah. it comes up that one of them asks Rory how old her mom is. She says she's thirty two, mm-hmm. and she does the math and realizes that she had her at sixteen. So they're talking about how difficult that must have been. But in the mm-hmm. same scene, there's another, I I don't know if it's Suki and Lorelai in another room, but she says, or maybe, I don't know who she's talking to, uh, but she says, you have three more years at Chilton, which means she's mm-hmm. a sophomore. Mm-hmm. So, and you have to, so it must be Lorelai that says this because she's, she's saying you have to, you have to make friends basically. Yeah. Because that's all oh, when she decides to give the tickets to the girls. I think that's when that happens. Yes. But anyway, I'm yeah. getting ahead of, my, of the story. But the, they're all 16 and yet, no, Rory was driving a car on her own in the second or third episode, The Deer Hunters, and her birthday party was after that. Yep. She is 17. Yep. <laughs> 
sorry. Yeah, that, I mean, I think, yeah, she, I think basically she has been 16 twice. I think she was 16 and then she turned 16. I think that's essentially There's some happening. real serious issues in this show. And, and like I said, friends, it, it can be done. Yeah. You don't have to do this haphazardly. And they, this seems haphazard to me. I'm, I've written a novel, and, and, and the craziest thing, the hardest <laughs> thing for me about the stupid novel was getting everybody's timelines right and how their yeah. ages and their Being relationships. Consistent. That's the hardest part. If it's a, if it's a linear novel, so yeah, this this is this is important. You should get this right, and they don't get it right over and over again. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of timeline inconsistencies on the show, and you know, like I, I do think that that was kind of common in a lot of shows at the time. Again. And I keep comparing this to, I mean, not, not every show. I said a lot of <laughs> yeah, shows, not okay. every show. I, I keep comparing this to Dawson's Creek, which I think was similarly kind of fast and loose with its timeline. And a lot of teen shows in particular, because the problem with a teen show is that in theory, uh, and actually, you know what? I will say Friends did this a little bit because Friends regularly has the Friends hanging out in the coffee shop in the middle of the day all the time as if none of them have jobs. And there's actually a joke about it at one point in the show where they all say something about how like all of their bosses don't like them. And then Joey points out, well, maybe it's because you're in a coffee shop in the middle of the workday. But it, it it is a regular thing, and and I think in shows about teenagers in particular, they kind of have to walk this tightrope, and most of them just don't. Where like in theory, these kids should be in school for eight hours a day, but it's really hard to do storylines if your people are in school eight hours a day. Because the yeah. reality of being a teenager is most of your life is school. That is yeah. just what you're going to spend most of your time doing: school or schoolwork, and that is just never true on any of these shows because it doesn't make for good drama so a lot of the time these shows will sort of give you the impression that these kids almost never have to go to class that school is just sort of a backdrop where drama happens and a lot of them will do these weird things where like okay well i guess it was monday in the first scene but now everybody's going away for the weekend so i guess it's the weekend now it's the weekend forever it's always the weekend because things can only happen on the weekend or after school yeah yeah we're after school yeah Mm -hmm. but yeah but i i do agree i think watching this show this close it's very clear that they have they have some continuity issues in this season the next thing that happens oh yeah there uh (laughs) so lorelei does kind of express some surprise that she's never heard of rachel before and she she says i go to luke's once a day sometimes sometimes twice three times if michelle has talked to one of his relatives and his accent has gotten thicker (laughs) what what does that mean So I actually do kind of get this a little bit. I I think it means that like after he has been speaking French, his French accent just like it gets thicker. Oh, I thought maybe he he was getting angry. And (laughs) (laughs) I I, no, I I assumed it was a language thing. Okay. Because, you know, like sometimes people will like go to vacation in England and then come back with like a half formed British accent. Yeah, it's hard. That's yeah. That's the funniest line in the show, though. But yeah, so then then we do get Lorelai suggesting that Rory bring her her new school friends along. They find out that Lane can't go. She she gets a call from her and she finds out she can't go. And and the thing is, as soon as 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 Lorelai is suggesting this, I'm like, should you talk to Suki? I mean, she was her. They were her tickets, right? 
Yeah. I, yeah, and, I have a note later on, like, Suki is the most chill friend ever because these were her tickets, and she's, like, not at all pissed that Lorelai just gave them away. Well, and I guess Suki is sort of a co-parent with, with, and she, you know, you can see how she would go in on this because she can, she would see that this is, this is a good thing for Rory to, for, to be able to Rory, bond with these yeah. girls. But yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's like, okay, ninth row seats to a concert that you all have been talking about for months. And you're gonna mm-hmm. give him. You're gonna give Suki seat away to somebody else. I just uh-huh. that's to a three lot. girls who like don't even know what band this is. I mean, she could have given the one Elaine's ticket to Paris, but maybe yeah. Paris, maybe Paris wouldn't have gone without the, her two support friends. I mean, I, I, I do think that's likely because she was the most resistant to going in the first place. Yeah, she was. Also, it is really awkward to try to invite one person in front of two other people that you're yeah, not inviting. It is. It is. I, I yeah. think they could either invite all of them or none of them. She loves the Bangles too, Lorelai. So yeah. for her to give up, yeah, these I, I seats, think they're her favorite band. Yeah. So for her to do this, she really loves her daughter because they they yeah. do end up. She and Suki end up in nosebleed seats. They decide to yeah. give the four tickets to the four girls, and then they. They get the nosebleed seats, which are literally the second from the top. And I have sit, yeah. I have sat in those kind of nosebleed seats. Usually oh, yeah. it's it's I think the couple of times that I did it is when I grabbed tickets at the last minute for a show that I didn't know was happening, or because somebody decided, mm-hmm. well, I went to see Dylan one time when I was exactly or, second f- row from the top. <laughs> I think the last two shows that I went to, I was sitting in like the second to last or last row mm-hmm. at the very top, and it's just because shows today are wildly expensive. Like these yeah. tickets were like yeah. Over a hundred bucks each. I, I don't. I don't remember exactly, but like I went to see Hades Town when it when it came to town, and we were in literally the last highest row, mm-hmm. and those seats yeah. were I think over a hundred bucks each so it was like you know yeah. like I mean I mean I like I enjoyed the show and I'm, I'm glad I went but like I wasn't really gonna spend like 400 bucks per no. also to be fair I do think we got our tickets a little bit later than we probably should have because mm-hmm. we weren't sure if we were gonna be able to go but yeah it was also just like you know trying to sit any closer than that you're gonna spend so much money on a show that you know I- I'd-, I'd listened to the soundtrack but I didn't know for sure how much I was gonna enjoy it so it was like yeah I mean, I want to go. I don't know if I want to spend $400 a seat. Yeah. Well, and when we went to see Trevor Noah a year and a half ago in Seattle, mm-hmm. we were up, up in nosebleed seats too because, again, yeah. it was a stadium show. And mm-hmm. I wasn't going to spend more than, I think we ended up spending 60 or $70 a piece on the tickets. Yeah. But even even so, it was a pretty good show. I mean, it was, our it was seats were, we were way high up, but we were close to the stage. So it wasn't terrible. Yeah. And, but the Dylan seats that I had, it was in an opera house. And we were mm. literally the second row from the top, which is where they're sitting. Could not see him. And I hadn't expected this because the previous time I'd seen Dylan, it was in a much smaller venue. And yeah. so I hadn't, I thought, well, not everybody goes to see Dylan these days. So we waited till the last minute, to, or we waited too long to buy seats. And yeah. that's all that was available, which made me happy because I'm glad Dylan is, is selling out, you know, yeah. that size theater. And so that's, that's always a good thing. And the seats weren't that expensive. It was just that we waited too long. So in this case... Yeah. The Bengals, uh, whom she loves, there are only a few seats left, and they're second row yeah. from the top. And then she sits there and gets the giggles about it. Yeah, she starts <laughs> laughing about it. Um, I did want to say real fast, like popping back a little bit, I just wanted to point this out. 
Lorelai makes this weird appetizer dish for the girls that's just like oh my god tarts <laughs> pop tarts displayed on a plate with one apple in the center <laughs> well she knows that they're not gonna it, eat the apple so she just it basically is pop yeah but she's also ordered pizza but also did she even toast the pop tarts it kind of looked like she didn't it looked like she just took them out of the package and immediately put them on the plate but you know i think Which, a lot of people eat pop tarts cold i know i have so I guess, it's it's, it's yeah. doable and but she stands there and she's like playing with them to get just the right presentation <laughs> really it's nice. pop tarts <laughs> but that's very lorelei <laughs> That is very Lorelai. Then she sticks, she gets it done, and she sticks the apple right on top. So, ah, you know, we got to make this healthy. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, then then we're at the, the concert, and Suki and Lorelai are up in the nosebleeds, and Lorelai just gets the giggles about how bad their seats are, which I will say, actually, I have had a, a I think I've had a reaction like that before. Oh, yeah. I think, I, I think actually at Hadestown, me, me and my friends were kind of giggling about the fact that we were in the very last row. Well, and uh, I tell you what, there was one time that I did not have the giggles and we had a bit, we had bad seats. We went to see Fleetwood Mac and the only time I've ever seen mm-hmm. them, I was very careful about my seat, our seat selection. We were willing to spend money on these seats. So, and I'd never seen them before and Christine McPhee was with them. I'm so glad I got to see it because she just recently died, but they were bad seats and they weren't, I mean, they weren't terrible seats, but they weren't great. And and I was um I was astounded because I had looked at the seating chart. I found what I thought were really good seats. I was furious, and we spent a lot yeah. of money on these seats, so they were very expensive. So when I when it was announced a couple months ago that Bruce Springsteen's seats were going to be four hundred dollars a piece, I'm oh like, you know, God. I love him, but I'm not going to spend that. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that is absurd. Ridiculous. So no, I'm not going to do it. The only person I might spend that kind of money on would be Paul McCartney, but. It, mm. And I've seen him twice, and again, both times are kind of nosebleed seats, but it's Paul McCartney. Everybody wants to see him. So Bruce Springsteen, he's very popular, but not worth $400. Not when you've seen him 10 times like I have, so I'm not going to do it. But I'm glad I saw Fleetwood Mac, but even then I was like, not laughing, not giggling. These these ladies are giggling, and the guy, the two men sitting next to them in the seats, they don't find it funny that they're sitting in nosebleed seats. Yeah, they do not. Yeah, they are not amused the way that Lorelai and Sue are amused <laughs> meanwhile we th- we then jump back to the girls in the good seats and apparently madeline has never been to a concert at all before she makes them really sort of i didn't i didn't pick that up that's interesting yeah she says that this is the closest she's ever been to a stage and she says but that she says she would be able to say that kind of no matter where they were sitting because she's never been to a concert at all before um, which also they they said bef- earlier when they were hanging out at the house that th- they were all kind of amazed that Rory goes to concerts with her mom. Yeah, which is amazing. I, I guess, yeah. I mean, we've been to a bunch of concerts together. Yeah, we saw Amy Mann. And um, and the Amy Mann. We saw Amy Mann, yeah. And and the reason we, we saw it together is that I bought you the tickets, two tickets mm-hmm. for, as a Christmas present. But it was yes. on a school night, and you couldn't get a friend yes. to, friend to go with you. And, and at the time, I remember thinking, am I a bad mom for buying tickets for a concert <laughs> on a school night? And then I thought, no, I don't think so, because no. Amy Mann didn't tour that much. And it was, you know, yeah. and it was a great show. It was at the Panthers. It was a great so show. So it was a small oh, yeah. venue. 
and we were really close. We had really good seats. And she was so wonderful. Is it the yeah. pageant? Yeah, she's so funny. And I, didn't, I think that's the only one we've ever gone together, though. Your dad is taking you to, yeah. taking you to quite a few concerts. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I think I had exactly one friend who also listened to Amy Mann, and she and I were not that close. And she had really strict parents, so she was not going to be able to go to a show on yeah. during the week. Yeah, It never even occurred to me that the, that you would have friends that wouldn't like the music you liked. But that now it, it does make oh, more sense. Yeah, I had very weird taste. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had very different taste from most people. I, I, you, like, you went to see music. Steve Forbert with your dad. Now, Yes. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I think Amy Mann was actually one of the more like mainstream youthful things that I listened to. And even so, yeah, none of my, and even none, then, almost none of my other friends listened to her. And you know, <laughs> I, I, I thought that too. I didn't think I was going to like her because I thought it was going to be like an Alanis Morissette thing because mm. you, you, you liking her and discovering her on your own told somehow told me that oh she's like an Alanis Morissette kind of character but she's not mm-hmm. she's she's a yeah. rocker and I mm-hmm. love her and it didn't you introduced me to her and and it was a great show and I'm so glad that that we went but yeah she's she's older too she's not Alanis Morissette she's is a bit yeah maybe five or ten years older than you I think she's got little kids now but I think Amy Mann is closer to my age so it, it, it yeah. was an unusual she's an unusual former performer for you to have liked at the age of whatever yeah. it was 13 14 well, I found her, I, I discovered her uh, basically because she's a musical guest in an episode of season seven of Buffy, uh, and she's the oh, only- Oh, yeah! Yeah, she was the only musical guest who got a line. She she gets to say a line. She's, she says, I hate playing vampire towns. So she's like- <laughs> That's right, that's right. The, that was a, and, you, yeah. and then you had to tell me who she was. And the interesting thing, yeah. let's, let's hit on that for a second, is these the there were a lot of musical acts in Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and they were all- all yes. real bands for the most part, right? Yes. So, and, yeah. and Amy Mann was one of them. Yeah. Um. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, we went to see that Amy Mann concert. It was a great concert. Uh, you and I have also gone to see uh Paul Simon together and Bruce Springsteen. Well, that's true. That was later. You're right. We we saw yeah, Bruce was a and bit Paul. Older then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and Simon went with us to both of those. Your brother went. With yes. Us, so it was a family thing. Yeah. But yeah. So back to the show. So we're back at the concert, and Madeline and Louise are basically immediately distracted by two boys who are. Oh my god! Behind them, one of whom is played by Brandon Routh, who was briefly a Superman. Uh, he was. Oh really? Yeah, he was Superman in Superman Returns, uh, okay. and I recognized him immediately. He has a very recognizable face. But yeah, so yeah, they immediately start kind of flirting with these boys, and Paris makes a very specific joke. She like she she is totally not surprised by this behavior, and the joke that she makes is. And before it's dark, they'll have every picnic basket that's in Jellystone Park, which I had to look up. It's a Yogi Bear reference. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't entirely get what it that was, line in this context means. It was bizarre. It was a bizarre reference. I did get it, but I didn't understand it. I guess she's saying that this is just a thing that they do because she's referencing like Yogi Bear always steals picnic baskets in Jellystone Park, right? Like it's a thing that he does over and over again. He collects I them. I think. Yeah, is that it would be the word that he steals them, but it's a collecting thing, and so I think she's saying they're collecting boys. So that wherever they go, wherever they go, they're collecting boys. And Paris, other than Tristan, is really not that interested in boys. She really... Yeah. 
she really is interested in her future, in her education. Yeah. But in this instance, she is loving this show. She, she I guess, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if we know if she was a fan before, but she's she's dancing, and she yeah. likes the music, and she, and I think it occurs to her, wow, there's life outside of school. There, you know, I can enjoy yeah. myself. It's a Saturday night. We got our work done today. We got our homework done. And that actually is one of the reasons she objects to going is that she's got homework to do when they're sitting in the living room talking. And somebody says, oh, you'll get it done. You always do. And she knows she will. She's just an introvert. She's not Mm -hmm. She's not good with people. She's yeah. she's not a social butterfly like the two friends are. And she's not as easy with people as Rory is. Rory's an introvert, yeah. too. But she finds people much easier than Paris finds them. Yeah. The, the impression that I got was that Paris wasn't really familiar with the band, but she was just having such a good time that she became a fan of them during that concert. And mm-hmm. I think part of what's happening is that she has never... Like, yes, yeah, she's not into boys, but also she has never really made an attempt to hang out with anyone who wasn't Madeline and Louise. Like, I think Madeline and Louise work for her because when they're at school, they will just kind of do what Paris says, you know, and that, that's why she wants to team with them because they'll just kind yeah. of, they, they want Paris to do most of the work and Paris wants to do most of the work. But that does mean that ultimately they don't have very much in common. So I think part of what's happening here is Paris is finally has finally been forced to truly hang out with Rory in a social setting and she's enjoying herself and she had no idea that she would. So I I, I, I like I literally have in my notes Paris is having the fucking time of her life. Yeah. And, you know, you, you make a good point. Louise and, and Madeline are her army. She uses yes. them and they use her. So it, mm-hmm. it's a it's that kind of a uh, symbiotic kind of relationship, but um, yeah, she doesn't really they're like her them. cronies. They're not her friends. They're her cronies. She doesn't really like yeah. them. They're her army. She 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 uses them, but I think she's begrudgingly realizing that she likes Rory. She has mm-hmm. similar interests with Rory. Rory is, and we will, and later on becomes. I don't know what happens to Lane in this relationship, but but they're kind of soulmate friends later on. I mean, they yeah. really have a lot in common. They fight too, but this relationship is is budding at this point. But it is it definitely becomes a very important relationship to both of their lives, and yeah. this is the beginning of that. They're starting to bond, so it's great. I, yeah, I kind of feel like it never occurred to Paris that she might be able to hang out in a social situation with people who are more similar to her. Like she's only ever had Louise and Madeline to hang out with and they're just not interested in the things that she's interested in. They're just very different people. So like for the first time she's hanging out with someone, she's hanging out with Rory who like her does not want to disobey the rules, does not want to run off and go to a crazy party with older boys. You know, basically Rory represents this kind of middle path between the craziness that Madeline and Louise are interested in and the absolute introversion, no fun at all that Paris does. Yeah, yeah. And and Rory is sort of, you know, Rory does for the most part obey her mom, except like accidentally, you know. But for the most part, she, she obeys the rules. She is sensible about what is safe and she's not guided entirely by wanting to meet every boy on the planet what you just said is very important rory is mature for her age and so is paris and these two girls are not they are actually immature for their age so who runs off in new york city 
New at York 16 City. with older boys that they have never met before to a party. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's crazy. It, it, they are absolutely making themselves so vulnerable to date rape, to yeah. all kinds of things. Getting arrested. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. all kinds of things that could happen to them. And Rory knows this instantly. Now, Paris doesn't say much during this scene. She just kind of lets them do what they want because she figures they're yeah. going to do it anyway. But but Rory's trying to protect them. She she tries yeah. to get them to stop. No, you, you shouldn't do this. First of all, you're breaking my mom's rules. We brought yep. you to this concert. But also, it's not safe. You you, mm-hmm. you girls, are, you, are, you don't know who these people are. You're just going to run. Oh, no, we'll be back before the show is over. And, of course, they're not. Which leads us to the next scene. <laughs> yeah. It's just my favorite um, scene, I think, so far in this this season. It's my favorite scene. Yeah. If you want to describe it, and then I'll comment. <laughs> uh, well, before we do, I just wanted to say so that when Madeline and Louise leave, uh, that is when Paris sits there and says, you know, I really like this band. And she says it basically like she's just watched Rory try to convince them to stay and then they leave and then she's just there with Rory. And I feel like that was her realizing that she just enjoys being companionate with Rory. Like yeah. they're just they're just sitting there and they're in the same headspace. And I don't think that Paris has experienced that a lot. No, and I think she respects Rory too. There's a burgeoning yes. respect there for her too that she doesn't run off with these girls. That she is more interested yeah. in the art on the stage than she is in running yeah. off to a drunken party with older boys. Yeah. But yeah, so then they go to the lobby to meet back up with Suki and Lorelai. And I do just want to say Rory's jacket in this scene is also really weird. It's like half jean jacket, half patchwork khaki jacket. I hate it. I don't know why that is her jacket. Well, but, it's but very look strange. Up, did you see what Paris had on? It was like a Navy jacket or something. It was very... Yeah, it was very... Like she wore a, a jacket you would wear to a, a job interview. I mean, you know... Yes. You, and if she had blue jeans on with it, then that's fine. But if she, you're going yeah. to a rock concert... Yeah, she looks like she's 40, for sure. She does, yeah. But yeah. Although her mother may have made her wear that, too, so... And while they're standing there, Rory does ask Paris why she likes Tristan. And Paris yeah. kind of doesn't really articulate it that well, but she basically says they've known each other for a really long time and she's known him to be nicer than Rory has seen him. And then she says, I know he's flirting with me to get to you, but at least he's flirting with me. And and Rory does tell her that she could do better, which I'm glad yeah. Rory does. And we all know that. <laughs> but And every, yeah. Yeah, everybody watching, you know, everybody knows that Paris, she's got a future in front of her. She's beautiful, first of yeah. all. She doesn't, she kind of plains herself out. I mean, she makes herself yes. look plain. She puts her hair back in a, in a ponytail mm-hmm. that's kind of, I, it just makes her look like an old maid, you know, kind of thing. She wears stuffy clothes her hair is always like very straight and down and just like she never does anything with it despite the fact that it's really long and the actress is beautiful i mean she's not yes you know she's not meryl monroe beautiful but she's attractive she and they make her look bad you know as bad as they can make her look but that's her i mean it's obvious that she's doing this to herself and so she doesn't feel attractive she doesn't feel attracted to boys i guess and tristan has come in and out of her life over the years he's easy she knows him she doesn't have to she doesn't have to really stretch uh to talk to him and 
there might be other boys, but she's so focused on on the academics and schoolwork and winning. Yeah. She wants to yeah. win everything. In fact, she says that several times when they're talking about their homework because I want to win. Well, and I think the thing that she doesn't see is that I think he has intentionally led her on several times throughout them knowing each other. I mean, that's what we saw in the earlier scene. It is, and but she, she knows. She, you know, she that the comment about him flirting with her with her. She knows. I mean, she gets it in that scene, but I suspect that when she says that he's been nice other times i think that was a front i don't think he's ever truly nice i think he's been nice to her to keep her liking him because he knows that he can manipulate her pretty easily yeah and she might be talking about when they were eight because they've gone to school yeah. together their entire lives so maybe when he was a little boy he was nice but he has he has grown into an arrogant cocky young man who is who thinks that his good looks are going to get him whatever he wants and at some point i'm assuming that paris figures this out so uh, hopefully that too much longer but I, I mean i'd love to see her tell him off yeah uh, but yeah so then we go to the apartment building where madeline and louise have disappeared to and lorelei starts banging on every single door and we get the the only person of color apart from lane in this episode <laughs> opens the the first door and uh and she does get the funniest line of the episode um yes she does Lorelai asks her if she knows where the, the the college boys are basically in the apartment and she responds with I don't talk to anybody people annoy me and then slams the door in their face Joe's just like yeah same it's just the the vision the visual of Lorelai traipsing through this building with everybody in tow mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. and knocking on every door to find these two girls because she says we came with four girls we're leaving with four girls yep. i am not leaving them alone so she does finally track mm-hmm. them down and she knows as soon as she enters that apartment that those boys are more than 18 years old and she tells them yep. you really want this problem on your hands you want to get arrested because these girls are 16 mm-hmm. and then she has a conversation with them out of the hall and yeah. she tells them what they need to hear. You know, this was yeah. not safe. You you shouldn't have done this. There was drinking. There's no telling. You went into this apartment with boys you don't know. You didn't know how old mm-hmm. they were. These are young men. These are not boys. You don't mm-hmm. know what you're drinking. There could have been. She did the implication being there could have been date rape, drugs, and what they mm-hmm. were drinking. And it doesn't even matter if they were drinking. The alcohol alone would have made them susceptible. Yeah, so, exactly. I love how she handles it. These girls need parenting they all need what rory has i mean probably paris as well but i love this scene so much that she tells these girls what they need to hear she she makes them she's not she's not making them feel bad she's actually making them feel cared for because she she comes across as stern but in a loving way when she tells them you were not safe here you're under my protection tonight you were not safe I was crying at the end of the scene because I thought she is giving them the parenting that they clearly are not getting from their own parents. And that's kind of sad. And now this may be, this is a stereotype that wealthy parents don't do a good job of parenting their children. I don't know how true that is, but it is something we see in movies and and TV all the time. So it's a trope and it it may be true. It certainly is true for these two characters. And it is, it is for Paris a little bit too, because we have actually seen her interacting with her mother and her mother is a real bitch. 
So yeah. um, she comes across, and you know, yeah, she's going through a divorce, blah blah blah. But that you know, you don't talk to your child like that. It's it's a it's a wonderful scene. The implication we get throughout this episode is, at the very least, these girls, their parents are really self involved. Yeah. Like, I don't remember what Madeline's thing is, but when they're discussing whose house to go to, Louise says they can't go to hers because her mother is having an affair, which mm-hmm. just suggests that like her mother is more concerned with her own like affair than she is with whatever is happening with her 16 year old daughter it's very sad yeah and paris says her mother is redoing the house because of their divorce Mm -hmm. and that's kind of sad too because she's not taking care of paris emotionally i mean her mother is not the only one going through this divorce paris is going through it too paris could probably stand to see a counselor she's suffering and and you know it's not that we don't spend a lot of time on paris it's not her story we just see hints of it. But you can tell that, that, that she's going through this divorce too. And her mother is totally yeah. oblivious to that. But before we go on, we missed we missed a scene when we were talking about um, the nosebleed seats. Let's just back up a second. I know looking at my nose oh, and yeah. remembering that when she and uh, Suki are sitting next to the two guys in the no- nosebleed seats, she starts pummeling Suki with questions about Rachel. And was yeah, she cute? She asks what does she look pretty. like? Yeah. What you know? Was she pretty? Yeah, and she says she's a uh, Al McPherson pretty. Yeah, which actually funny that you mentioned Friends in this episode. I, I had to look up Al McPherson because I wasn't like I knew the name, but I wasn't one hundred percent sure who she was. And then I looked her up, and she's Joey's uh, hot Australian roommate in oh, Friends. Yeah. <laughs> Elle McPherson was like, she was the beautiful model of the 90s. So this is definitely a, you know, and and the other two people that she mentions are pretty. But Elle McPherson. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, Catherine she's, she's, I wouldn't call her pretty. I'd call her beautiful. What's the other one? Uh, Yeah, I would. I would actually say that out of the ones that she mentioned, I thought Catherine Zeta-Jones was the most beautiful, but, you know, that's yeah. all subjective. But Elle McPherson was model beautiful and yeah. closer probably to uh, Lorelai's age. And because yeah. I think Catherine Zeta-Jones is a little bit older. But anyway, so, yeah, but that gets it across. That this That Rachel was beautiful. Model yeah. beautiful. Anyway, so I wrote in my notes that Lorelai is having a FOMO moment about Luke and Rachel. Kind of jealous, mm-hmm. but, but she doesn't understand yet why. So it came across to me at first as she, you know, the fun she was missing out on. But Suki kind of does a bullseye on her and says, no, you're jealous. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so that was a backup. I would forgot to talk about that, but... It does seem like this appearance of the concept of Rachel is like the first time that Lorelai has really had to think about Luke having a love life. Yeah, and, and she it is a fear of missing out because she not only is kind of jealous of somebody she's never met, but she's kind of upset that she didn't know about this, too. I mean, she's not in this scene, but earlier she's like, how did I not know about this? Well, you had an 11-year-old and you were just buying this house. So, but... And probably because the writers didn't come up with Rachel before this episode. that's exactly the reason. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so at the end of the scene where Lorelai is kind of, I want to say, reaming the girls out, but, you know, telling them why what they did was wrong. At the end of that scene... Uh, Paris turns to Rory and says, you know what? I think this is the best night I've ever had. Yeah. And and why is that, do you think? Why does she say that? I mean, I, it sounds like this is maybe the first time she's actually gone somewhere and had fun. You know, she, yeah. she avoids social interactions. And the few times that we've seen her go to like dances and parties, she's been miserable the whole time. Miserable, yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's just like, you know, she was finally hanging out with someone who's on her own wavelength, Rory. 
And, and Lorelai. Because she agrees yeah, with everything and- Lorelai's saying. And she's seeing a parent in action here. A, once, yeah. a woman who takes parenting seriously. So, yeah. and that's fun. And But also, I think the... You know, the, the, the adventure through the apartment building where they're knocking on doors. And it's <laughs> kind of, you know, that's, that's kind of funny. fun. I mean, the whole yeah. evening has been interesting and not what Paris had expected it to be. I think she expected to be bored. She liked the concert. She loved walking through this apartment building in New York City looking for these girls. Mm-hmm. She loves seeing these two girls. And, and I don't think it's that she loved them being yelled at by Lorelai. But the way Lorelai talks about it, what she's saying... Why she, you know, the, the, what the story that she's telling them is one they need to hear. You, yeah. you made yourselves vulnerable. Don't do that to yourself. Value yourself more. I suspect this is also probably the first time that Paris has experienced like not being in the minority because normally she's with just these two girls. So, you know, because there's two of them and only one of yeah. her, they usually get to have the minority vote. But here, like, Rory and Paris both think that what they did was wrong, and so does Lorelai. So it's not necessarily that she's, like, enjoying watching them get yelled at, but, like, she's enjoying being on the correct side and mm-hmm. seeing other people who are a little bit more socially adept say the things that she would probably like to say, you know, say the things that yeah. she knows to be true. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, uh, and then we get the actual rummage sale is the the very last scene and lane is wearing one of the concert t-shirts uh it says bangles tour 2000 it's actually a very boring shirt but it's definitely from the concert so they brought back a t-shirt for that's lane. A, something we failed to mention too because lorelei bought t-shirts for all four girls bought t-shirts for and then she gets yeah. there and the two girls are, are gone. Well, they don't get their T-shirts. So mm-hmm. <laughs> she gives one to Lane. Yeah. And I'm assuming she kept the fourth one for herself. So, yeah. Oh, and then Rory reveals to Lorelai that Paris has agreed to let her split debate time. We kind of glossed over this earlier. But yeah. originally Paris handed out all of the assignments. And she told Rory that she could do the conclusion. Uh, she herself was going to do the, the debate. Madeline was going to do the intro. And Louise was going to take questions which obviously that is giving Paris herself the most important part, the actual debate. So the fact that she is now letting Rory split debate time with her means that she's truly giving Rory kind of a, a meteor chunk of the assignment and she's decided to, over the moon. Yeah, she's decided to trust her. And, yes. And that, yeah, it's, it's a great scene. And I kind of, yeah, I kind of saw that coming, though, because um, yeah. we're seeing Paris mature a little bit. She's evolving yeah. as a character and as a human being. She's, she's mm-hmm. opening herself up to Rory, and that's a good thing for both of them. Yeah, and, and we've seen them take small steps towards friendship leading up mm-hmm. to now, uh, and this was kind of... Real. Real friendship, not the kind she has with Louise and Madeline, yeah. Um, So yeah, and then uh, we get uh, another Luke and Lorelai scene. Luke is apparently really into sushi-shaped fridge magnets. He seems I think he just wants to buy something that he wants to, he wants to, there's nothing he needs, nothing he sees that he wants, but he wants to buy something because that's what you're supposed to do is for a good cause. Yep. Oh, and the cause, so, yeah. by the way. Let's talk about the cause. They're going to oh, rebuild yeah. a bridge somewhere. So Rebuild a bridge in town. Yeah. 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 And he apologizes to Lorelai for freaking out. And then she apologizes for 
wearing the shirt because she didn't know what it meant. Uh, and she gives him back the shirt, which at first he kind of refuses, but she says, no, it's it's okay to hold on to memories. So I think you should have this. And he wants it to be very clear that he's not pining for Rachel. He's just remembering her. Yeah, and she's showing him compassion that I think he appreciates. Yes. He, and he needs because he, which he didn't, he might not have realized that he needed. And that was why he overreacted to seeing her wearing that shirt. He wasn't regular, ready to part with that shirt yet. It's okay to hold on to stuff. It, it's a, it's yeah. a very sweet scene. And there's nothing yeah. romantic in the scene. She just, she reinforces for him that it's okay to have memories about somebody that you loved and that has left yeah. your life. And hold on to this shirt. Doesn't it's yeah. it's it's perfectly fine to do that. And that kind of brings us to the end of the to episode. The end. Yeah, it's the any... end of the episode. We don't know how much money they made if they made enough to rebuild <laughs> yeah. the bridge. Um, but it is it's probably one of the best episodes I think we've seen this this season. It's one of my favorites. The 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 short scene where she's telling the girls who have run off that they need to take care of themselves a little bit better and to make better decisions is one of my yeah. favorite scenes in this show so far. And yeah. they just, it's, it's what, to me, it's what the show is all about. It's about yeah. parenting and relationships and showing people love in different ways. So, you know, she and, and Luke are not, you know, romantic interest yet, but she, but there's still love between them. It's just, you know, human love. And she shows him that at the end, she show, when she's compassionate, when she compassionately gives him the shirt back, she's showing these, these two teenage girls who she doesn't know, she's showing them love by telling them that they need to take better care of themselves. And the way her style of parenting it is not always obvious but she mm -hmm. is she is the best kind of parent and i think she she does have a good close relationship with her daughter which a lot of teenage girls don't have you and i had it but not ever not a lot of your girlfriends did i think you know and i'm not sure we could probably even count the ones that that, that did have good close relationships with their moms but these two have that and it's lovely but she also she she makes rules for her and her daughter follows them because she knows that the rules are there to keep her safe and to make yeah. sure that she has a good life they're not arbitrary rules like mrs kim's now mrs kim probably doesn't see her rules as arbitrary they're they're based yeah. in her religion and her cultural upbringing and background and so that's a little bit different i see them as arbitrary but but I don't share her her cultural background. So I, I think they're a little awful and that and they, they result in her daughter lying to her. And as yeah. far as we know, Rory for the most part does not lie to her mom. She's kept a few things from her, but they, it usually comes out, but she doesn't lie to her. And they and that's a good thing. You the that the way you have a, a a good relationship is when you don't lie to each other, when you're honest with each other, and when you have rules. And so these two girls who go to this party, you know, do their parents not make rules for them? Is this is this accepted behavior? I don't think we have that answered for us, but it certainly isn't acceptable with um, Lorelai. Yeah, I think this is a good parenting episode for Lorelai. Yes, yeah, it this was. Is, you know, she she makes mistakes as a parent, but this is one of the episodes where we really get to see her parenting in action, and it's good parenting. It's also a friendship episode because not only do Rory and Paris connect a little bit more than they have start to bond but man suki never says a word about her giving those tickets away <laughs> yeah so she they sure clearly yeah. they clearly have a, a great friendship too and um and that giggling scene just got to me <laughs> 
But yeah, it was a good episode for Paris. We're finally getting to see a softer side of her. So that, dear listeners, is all for today. I'm Tessa Dare, and you can find me at my website, tessadare.com, where you can sign up for my email list, or you can follow me on Instagram at author.tess.adare, or on TikTok at author.tess.adare. And if you want to support us on Patreon, we're at patreon.com slash where you lead. And I'm Beth Von Baron. You can follow me on Instagram at STL underscore writer underscore Beth or sign up for my weekly Substack email, Saturday Morning Musings at stlwriterbeth.substack.com. This has been Where You Lead, our fun and terribly witty podcast about the Gilmore Girls from the perspective of a mother and daughter. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll tune in for our next episode in two weeks. See you then.